Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from Luke in chapter 14. We'll continue where we left off, and I'll read the first uh, 14 verses. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had droopsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and, to, come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This far the reading of God's word, and our focus will be on those verses 7 through 14, where Jesus tells the parable of the wedding. Dear congregation, if you remember Queen Elizabeth II, she was crowned in the year 1953. And when she was crowned, she was robed in in royal robes. She had a crown that was made in 1661. It was called the St. Edward's crown. It had a lot of solid gold on it. This was set on her head. But during that coronation service, the most special, the most sacred part of that whole service was called the anointing. And during that part of the service, all her royal robes were taken off again. And all she wore was a plain white dress. She was hidden from the view of all the spectators under a canopy. And what she did there was come before the Lord to be anointed for service. There she kneeled before God, showing her dependence on the living God for His power, His Spirit to equip her 
for her role as queen. And though she had all this royal apparel, she knew her dependence was in the Lord. And so in a similar way, we can think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who also laid down his robes of glory when he came down and was born into this earth as a servant who served in this world. And Queen Elizabeth, she also in a way recognized her dependence on God. And, and so when she was clothed in her royal apparel, she did not go to the Lord and demand of Him to give her what she needed. She did not do what, what Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I would acknowledge Him? But rather, she as a humble servant came to receive what she needed to serve others, even though she was queen. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself came in the form of a servant and humbled Himself to the point of death, even the shameful death on the cross, it says. And that is something of what He is teaching here in this parable, where He says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We are called to humility in, in various ways. And if we think of, when we look at ourselves, how we view ourselves in comparison to other people is a good indication of how we view ourselves before God. If we see how the Lord Jesus humbled himself before his own father, and if how the Queen of England humbled herself before a nation and before God, and so our theme this morning is simply humility and the gospel. Humility and the gospel. And Jesus here tells a parable about humility. As we read, he'd been invited to a supper at one of the Pharisees' houses. And while he was there, he observed how they were trying to take the best place at the table, trying to find the best seat. It says he noted how they chose the best places. They, they wanted the most honorable place at the table. If you think back to verse 1, it was the Pharisees who were watching the Lord Jesus and, and seeing what will he do on a Sabbath day. Will he, will he heal this person from the sickness? But now the Lord Jesus is watching them. You may remember from a few weeks ago when we read from Peter when it said we are to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that they may glorify God when they see your works. But here the Lord is observing these Pharisees among themselves, not even among the unbelievers. And so Jesus tells this parable to teach us about humility in the kingdom of God. And he tells a parable of, of using an analogy of being invited to a wedding feast, and which he compares and this wedding feast is a picture of, of the invitation to the gospel. And that's the picture we need to keep in mind. And this first parable from verse 7 through 11, verse 12, verse 11, is, is directed to the guests. Jesus directs this parable to the guests. And he says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't try to sit in the most honorable place. Because if someone more honorable than you comes, you'll be asked to move down with shame. You'll have shame and disgrace. Instead, when you come in, sit in the lowest seat. 
And then if the host comes and sees you're sitting at a low seat, he might say, friend, come up higher. You'll have honor in front of the other guests. So what does this mean? The gospel requires humility. It can be received in no other way than in, hum- in humility. And Jesus is using this picture, this parable, to show what is, what is true in real life is certainly true with God spiritually. And by observing the behavior of the Pharisees here, Jesus is, he, he, he sees the sin of pride and of selfish ambition. And those sins are offensive to us. How much more than are those sins offensive in the sight of a holy God? How the Pharisees acted toward each other here, Jesus is pointing out, it really shows how they are behaving toward God. And they're motivated by a selfish spirit, and they they focus on, on personal gain at any cost. And Galatians 5 here um, identifies selfish ambition as one of the sinful works of the flesh that Christians have to put off, to mortify. Selfish ambitions are, are, are directly contrary to the sacrificial love and humble service of a Christian. And it's contrary to the very actions that the Lord Jesus demonstrated in verse 1 through 6, where He Himself served the needy. And so the gospel works in in complete contrast to what the Pharisees here are doing. And the lesson the Lord Jesus is pointing out in verse 11 is whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The proud, the self-righteous person will be cast down. But the Lord will exalt the humble. James 4 says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And that's what Jesus is confronting here. And He shows in various places how the Pharisees acted this out. In in the first six verses of this chapter, we can see how the Pharisees showed no compassion for the sick, but but instead they accused them of breaking the Sabbath by being healed. If you look at the next chapter, verse 15, 1 and 2, they, they saw the tax collectors and, and the sinners drawing near to Jesus, and they, they accused them. They accused Jesus of associating and eating with them. And they saw themselves as much better than those sinners. In Luke 16, verse 14, it says the Pharisees were covetous. They, they desired money. They were greedy for gain at the expense of others. That selfish ambition always seeks to serve herself in, in whatever way possible. And in Luke 18, verse 9, the Pharisees trusted in, his own, in their own righteousness to be accepted with God. And they despised the other. They despised the other man praying in the temple who was, who was not like himself. And so selfish ambition, Jesus is showing, tramples on other people to exalt themselves. And that's what Jesus is observing here at the dinner. Each of the guests were trying to sit in the best seat. And they each thought themselves to be a little better than the next person, so they thought themselves more deserving to have the better seat at the table. And so selfish ambition not only tramples on the poor, on the humble, on the needy, 
but it tramples on each other, on your own friends. The Pharisees vying with each other for the best seat. Galatians 5 says you bite, you devour each other. They're all guests here at the same dinner, but they're stepping on each other to make their way to the top. And so this, this parable here shows what they are doing with the gospel message. Because the same gospel message comes to every one of them. But in their pride, they're assuming, assuming that they are worthy of a better seat. And in their selfish ambition, they're fighting for the best place. But the result is whoever exalts himself will be humbled. To be humbled, that means to be cut down. When John the Baptist came preaching, he, he said, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, so that humbling is like a lofty mountain being cut down, being smashed to pieces and spread into the valley. And so the one who, who seeks to, to sit in the highest place of honor, he'll be brought down with shame to a lower place. But if that's the picture at a, at a feast, how much more shame will it bring to us if we exalt ourselves in the face of God and He has to cut us down? Satan exalted himself against God in heaven, and he was cast down out of heaven, never to be redeemed again. And hell is made as a place reserved for the devil and his angels where he'll be cast away forever. Adam and Eve exalted themselves against God in their selfish ambition to become like God when they took of the forbidden fruit, and they were cast down out of a paradise. You remember the story of Pharaoh who said, Who is God that I should listen to him? exalted himself over God, and he was cast down with all his army into the Red Sea and drowned. And so what does God instruct us to do? Verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you he comes, he may say, friend, go up higher. This is the lesson that the Lord Jesus is teaching, that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The way to God is only through humility. The rulers should already know that. You would think that the rulers of the nation, the religious rulers should know that. But we see this sin everywhere. If you look at our own government, you look at our own nation, look at our own hearts. And these sins sometimes can be very obvious. Other times they can be very subtle. They can be so subtle that if you read the story in Luke 18, verse 9, about the Pharisee, he thanked God that he was not like other men. So proud and yet he thought he was humble. He suffered of the same sin he was accusing other people of. And so we need to be very aware of our own selfish ambition so that we can humble ourselves in repentance before God. And so how does this evidence itself in our own lives? Well, we have to, I'm sure the Lord has showed us in many different ways how this rises up in our own heart, but it starts very basically, like, very much like this story, around our own table in our, in our daily life. 
Do we fight? Do we argue? Where we want to sit? Around the table? Or in the car, children? Do we fight with our brothers and sisters of where we want to sit? God tells us to have honorable conduct among the Gentiles. But then in our own homes, in our own families, brothers and sisters can do the worst things to each other. They say mean, hurtful, demeaning words to each other. They fight and argue over the smallest things. And why is that? Why? It's because of our own selfish ambition. Because we think we're a little bit better than our brother or sister. A little bit more worthy to have this or that. But then as we get older, these sins don't just disappear. They just become more subtle. The Pharisees were religious rulers, but they envied each other and wanted the most honor among each other. Even the Lord's disciples in Luke 9, verse 46, argued with each other of who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. The Lord's own disciples. And this was right after the Lord Jesus had done a number of miracles, including feeding the 5,000, healing the sick, and, and Peter had confessed, you are the Lord, the, the Christ, the Son of God. And then they're arguing about who would be the best. And so we must have humility in our daily conduct with one another. Lest we find our selfish ambition fighting with each other, trying to gain advantage over another in our work or in our home, or if we misuse God's word for our own gain, as the Pharisees did, and as we can often be guilty of. But if you think a little further, there's spiritual pride. When we think ourselves to be a little more advanced in grace, a little more experienced in faith than others, slightly better than those Christians, or certainly better than those unbelievers, what are we doing then? We're fighting, we're vying for the best seat at the table of the wedding feast. We're looking down at others, and we give ourselves a little better seat, a little more honorable in the sight of God. And that's why we need to ask ourselves daily, how do we view other people? How do we view other people in our own family, in our own church family, in our own community, in this world? Do we place ourselves a little bit higher in God's kingdom than someone else? But then we must also be aware of our proud humility, as people call it. We know that God demands humility, we learn here in church and at home. And so we try to be humble, but underneath are still our selfish ambitions. And at times we can be so proud of our apparent humility that we think ourselves better than others and more acceptable to God because of what we're doing. But then again, we're acting just like these Pharisees. Again, how do we see this? Well, this pride and this selfish ambition often reveals itself through envy, through jealousy, or through bitterness towards others. If we're jealous 
Or if we're bitter towards someone else, we have to ask, why is that? It could be because of how they live or act or what they have or what they do. But we envy them because at the same time, our pride or selfish ambition thinks that we're more deserving than they are to have whatever we see. And we're all guilty of this. I know myself to be guilty of it all. And it's here when we look at our own hearts and we see how true the words are from Jeremiah 17 when it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. See, our old nature is so part of us. When the Lord saves a person, we are not immediately glorified. But that pride and selfish ambition are part of the old nature that needs to be put to death. But dying to self is too humiliating for us. We don't want to. We know that in daily life, it's very humiliating for people to lose their ability to care for themselves. You see that in the elderly, the sick. They lose their ability to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, to groom themselves. But how much more humiliating is it to come to the place where we realize we have no spiritual life and ability in ourselves, and we need to find it all outside of ourselves in another. We hold on to every ounce of strength to preserve ourselves. We want to hold on to life, spiritual life ourselves, because our natural pride, our natural selfish ambition does that. You see the elderly person who refuses to walk with a walker even though he knows he needs it, everybody else knows he needs it, and that's how we are spiritually. We refuse to lean on Jesus Christ as long as we can do it ourselves. How we need to humble ourselves before God. 1 Peter 5 says, Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And it's this grace of God through the gospel that produces this humility in us. It's not something we produce ourselves. But when we consider this invitation to the wedding, we see how all the guests receive the same invitation to the wedding. God has given you and me all the same invitation to the gospel, to, in the gospel, to the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. You have been invited only because God has decided to invite you, not because you are any different or I'm any different than the other. And we will be seated where God seats us. There's nothing that sets us apart as more deserving of being invited in. In fact, it's the very opposite, isn't it? Godly humility recognizes we do not even deserve to be invited at all. But God sends out this invitation to all who hear the gospel because of His love, because of His mercy, 
And humility recognizes that it then all comes from the Lord. And then a trembling heart recognizes that we have forfeited everything. Forfeited it all and deserve nothing but condemnation. Why would God then invite me? But the gospel also rewards humility. Because here we see, this is where God says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. And God receives you in the gospel, not because of your humility, because that, but because that is the only way you can receive it. You come to God through Jesus Christ by faith, confessing that you do not have any righteousness of yourself. That takes humility. Lord, I have nothing. Empty hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And there's no other way to come but empty. And that takes humility. That is humility. But this is exactly where God comes to you and says, Friend, now come up higher. Now come up higher. Come sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because in Jesus Christ you are found worthy. Here a poor sinner is lifted up by grace to the highest heaven to sit at the wedding feast with God Himself. Exalted from the dust and from the sin to the glory and beauty of heaven. And then all you can say is, Lord, why me? Why me that you chose me from all this, the people in the world? But here also is, is the, the, the greatest comfort in this humility. Because here we realize that we don't need to elbow our way into heaven. We don't need to step on other people to find a better seat in the kingdom of heaven. When his humility confesses that if it was left up to us, then we would never enter. Then we recognize that we're all guests. All guests at the same feast. Nothing makes us better or different than another. And then we willingly come and take the lowest place because we know we don't even deserve that. But by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, He invited me to come. And He provided a seat for me at this table. Paul could say to me who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given? He said in another place, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Humility leaves us utterly empty and nothing before God. As we sang earlier, all that I am, I owe to Thee. Here we take off all our robes of pride and self-righteousness, our selfish ambition, and we say, Lord, I come to receive everything for body and soul for life and death from Thee, because I have nothing in myself. It's not a wonder that some of the old writers said that the marks of grace are humility, 
humility and humility. If we want to know if we love God, do we come in humility? We can receive God's grace only in humility by faith. And this will determine how we come to him in the gospel every day. Again, Peter says, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This will determine how we come to our Bibles every day. As we open up the Word of God, do we come with that humility that the Lord would feed our hungry souls? This will determine how we come to church every Lord's Day. Do we come with a hungering and a thirsting after His righteousness, seeking for Him to lift us up and to strengthen us? for His grace to fill our souls. Luke 1, verse 53 says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent empty away. Does the Lord find us on our knees Sunday morning and Saturday night before we come to church asking Him for a blessing that God would fill the needs of our soul? that He would fill your heart because no one can give it to you except God. Only God can fill your heart. Only God can exalt you because only God knows where you are. Only God knows your heart and what you need. That helps us to understand the last few verses, the second parable that Jesus directed to the host. Because in verse 12, he says to the one who invited him, and he says, when you invite guests, do not only invite the rich friends who can pay you back, but instead invite the poor who will never be able to invite you back. He says, then you'll be blessed, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Here, the Lord Jesus is saying, God is the host the host of the gospel wedding feast. God does not invite only the rich who can pay Him back, because that is impossible. But God invites the poor. The gospel comes to all, rich and poor, the unworthy. There's no hindrance. There's no limitation. And so the lesson that the Lord Jesus is, is teaching us here is that it is only when we have this profound sense of humility that we don't deserve to be invited ourselves, that it is only then that we will truly be able to invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind to the gospel. And that will be demonstrated practically in our own homes when we show biblical hospitality not only to our friends and neighbors, but to the poor to those who can never return the favor to us. In direct contrast here to what the Pharisees were doing. This will be evident in our church family, how we receive one another, 
and how we welcome guests into our midst. Because as long as we harbor any pride, any selfish ambition in our hearts, we will not be free to serve others. We will not be free in extending the gospel invitation to those who we think are a little bit less worthy than we are. But this is exactly what God requires of us. And this is where God will add His blessing. Because God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. We can never repay God for the unspeakable gift of His grace and mercy towards us. Neither must we ever expect to return in this life from the poor of this world. But God has promised to reward in His own way. He will exalt the humble. He will reward and repay in the resurrection of the just. God's reward is eternal. So we can ask ourselves today, are we a congregation that the Lord uses to spread His gospel in our community? Or does He first need to say to us, move down a little lower? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This invitation is extended only to us because or to us only because Christ has laid down His robes of glory. And He came to take the lowest place of all, lower than our own sin, lower than our sin-cursed place, where He humbled Himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And it's for His sake that you have been invited to the wedding feast, but even as Christ Himself is exalted on high by God to, to be given a name higher than every other name, as He is raised from the dead and crowned with glory as King of kings and Lord of lords, so He will also lift up the humble and the broken to exalt them in due time, to give them a glory that we cannot comprehend. Your self-sacrificing service will mostly go unnoticed in this world. We can expect that. It'll be unrewarded on this earth, but God knows your heart, and God will repay your service and exalt His people accordingly. And so let us take home this text from Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than himself. He who humbles himself will be exalted.